0: of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. Today's episode is a challenging one. We take a deep dive into the tragic events gripping the people of India, and we reflect on the tremendous loss of life that has resulted from the second wave of COVID-19. According to Vatican News, as of May 29th there have been 27.7 million reported cases of COVID-19, second only to the United States in India, and 322,512 deaths, placing India at the third highest death count after the US and Brazil. And these are just the cases that have been reported. In India, at least 400 of those dead due to COVID-19 are nuns and priests. As today's guest, Jesuit priest Father Siji Chako, will explain, this is in large part due to the work these faith leaders do at the forefront of the nation's suffering, accompanying the vulnerable, excluded, and the forgotten. Father Siji wears a lot of hats at the Jesuit Conference of India, but as you'll hear, no matter what his role, his vocation is to constantly serve God's people in whatever way is possible. Our conversation spans his own calling to the Jesuits, to his work advocating for human rights, to his reflection on the life of Father Stan Swamy, the 84-year-old Jesuit who has been imprisoned by the Indian authorities for his human rights advocacy. But a word that you'll hear again and again in our conversation is this, solidarity. What does it mean, exactly? In Fratelli Tutti, Pope Francis says, solidarity is a word that is not always well received. In certain situations, it has become a dirty word a word that dare not be said. Solidarity means much more than engaging in sporadic acts of generosity, it means thinking and acting in terms of community. And in Solicitudo Rei Socialis, Pope John Paul II says, Solidarity is not a feeling of vague compassion or shallow distress at the misfortunes of so many people, both near and far. On the contrary, it is a firm and persevering determination to be commit oneself to the common good, that is to say, to the good of all and of each individual, because we are all really responsible for all. Ultimately, solidarity demands that we be contemplatives in action, mindful of the needs of God's people in this moment and available to respond accordingly. You might find that as you're listening to Father Sigi's reflections, you're moved to act. Let me give you a simple step you can take. Head over to Jesuits.org/India. Now, here's my conversation with Father Sidji. All right, Father Sidji, thank you for being with us on AMDG.
1: Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: So why don't we start, uh, I think at a good place to, to begin our conversation with uh, learning a little bit about you. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the role uh, that you have with the
1: Jesuits in India? Yeah, uh, I'm a Jesuit priest. Um, uh, I you know, come from Kerala, the, one of the southern states of the country. I joined the Patna Jesuit province, that is right in the in north, northern part of India. Um, I have um, a background of social work. My academics has been more into that, MA in social work. Then I worked in uh, three different organizations in Bihar as the director of social work, you know, different centers. Uh, I also was the province development director. At the moment, I am the conference development director. Also, I um, serve as the... Director of Communications at the Jesuit Conference of South Asia, which you are quite aware of, um, we have initiated something new called the Main Migrant Assistance and Information Network. So at the moment they have appointed me as the director of that. So I just at the moment I'm doing quite a few of these, um, yeah, engaged in. But it's a you know a joyful experience to be connected with the people, starting from the grassroots all the way up to, you know, administration, whichever way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're, uh, you're directing a lot of things, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah. When you, um, tell me a little bit about when you say social work, what kind of, what kind of, um, what kind of work does that mean in your particular context?
1: Um, social work in our context would mean uh, reaching the most uh, disadvantaged or the marginalized communities. Uh, like, for example, in Bihar, I was working with one of the communities called Musahars. Um, The literal meaning of this, that if you have to take out the name uh, and then analyze that, it would mean rat-eaters, Musahar, you know, in Hindi. Uh, so this is one of the communities which is very least in socio-economic development indicators. Uh, to the extent, uh, um, you know, the literacy rate of this community is just eight percent eight percent that means if you take 100 people just eight people are able to read and write their names leave alone the the education or anything more that they're able to do and those, those who passed uh, metric that you know like the 10th standard in india uh, when we talk about metric uh it may be just 1.5 percent of the entire you know uh, community that would have let's say past metrics so it's such kind of communities that we work with we work with a lot of uh, Dalits so social work in India uh, would mean uh, as I mentioned already reaching uh, the most disadvantaged and vulnerable sections of the community in that sense of the term so they are tribals they are Dalits in the Indian context and within the Dalits itself you will find um very 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 poor uh, communities who deserve our love support and service yeah
0: of course i uh you're, you're describing it sounds uh very much in line with what uh, the jesuits uh, globally are, are trying to do right so i wonder if you might share some reflections what what drew you initially to uh becoming a jesuit what, what was the society of jesus doing in india that, that you said hey i wouldn't be a part of that
1: yeah As I already mentioned to you, Eric, I hail from uh, Kerala. Kerala and the southern part of India definitely has, uh, you know, a stronger faith background uh, among the Christians, you know. Um, So so I have been brought up in that faith. And then I have had a desire to uh, serve uh, the world, the humanity, and the globe beyond me, you know. Um, I remember one quotation from the Upanishads which says, um, you know, the the size or the space of your heart is as large as the universe. So somewhere or other I felt, you know, I I should not be, you know, just limiting uh, my love, my service, uh, my sense of justice only to myself or to a small group of people. I need to serve those who deserve my love, care and support. So that is how I decided to join the Society of Jesus. And that's how I chose to, uh, you know, prepare myself with the social work. In fact, that is the reason why I did my even PhD or the, you know, like the doctorate in disaster management. In that too, I focused more on how, you know, the riverbank erosion, such a phenomenon is uh, affecting uh, the poorest of the poor in one part of the country. That's it. So um, it is that passion, uh, the kind of a desire to serve the poor um, that really drove me to, you know, like helped me to reach uh, Bihar, uh, almost 3000 kilometers away from my uh, my hometown. Yes.
0: Your Jesuit vocation brought you um, all over India or all over uh, South Asia or, or have you really zero it focused in on, on one particular area as, as you've described
1: yeah as you might know uh, in South Asia we have um, several provinces uh, most of those provinces are in India But, of course, we are in uh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Afghanistan, Bhutan, so a a few other countries beyond India when we look at South Asia as a conference. But, uh, yes, I I chose to join uh, Bihar, you know, that is the geographical space, Uh, Patna province. So Patna province at the moment uh, has two larger states of the country that it covers. Bihar and also UP, Uttar Pradesh. Uh, So it's a huge uh, population that this particular province at the moment covers. So I just saw that canvas right there. And then of course I would have been, you know, like joining any province um, uh, in the country or in South Asia, but I just happened to be joining um, Patna Jesuit province. But one thing I want to share with you is uh, of late, uh, you know I'm able to realize more and more our vocation is not limited to our province because see for example, at the moment I'm serving the conference in the capacity as the conference development director beyond my province uh, you know uh, you know in, a, in an ordinary language, if you had to say it is like I'm a common property for six years from now, you know um, you know uh, serving the conference of South Asia. Uh, And um, of late, you know, you yourself um, are very much part of that um, team of mine, means the extended family, where we are able to realize um, with the better connectivity, media, even the very conversation that we have at the moment is very, very clearly indicating each one of us that uh, we are global so it is not just i'm not joining partner jesuit province i'm not joining the jesuit conference of south asia alone but i belong to the global uh, jesuit society not with the jesuits alone but with uh, many people who are committed people like you who are very much part of the extended family of the jesuits so that gives me a lot of joy and um, hope yeah no it's beautiful i know we've we have talked a lot about that idea
0: of, of how do you, how do you anchor, uh, you know, your, your kind of faith experience deeply in, uh, you know, your, your, the context which you are, but also recognizing that we're part of a global society, a global church. And I, I wonder just what, what I ask your reflections on, you know, you, you named a number of countries that are part of the conference. And now you're, a, you're at the director level, you're, you're looking at, you know, Nepal and Afghanistan and, and, and India and such unique and different needs and contexts and challenges what what do you see as the common thread that kind of keeps it all together Um, or or maybe there isn't one maybe you have to kind of build on one so how how do you manage those very different contexts
1: yeah see as you are quite aware India is a very you know uh, it's a country of varieties you know that's what right Um, I remember one of my friends from Manos Unidas one Miss Africa when she comes here and she very often talks to me about Holi. Holi is the festival of colors. Uh, and then uh, she keep that as a profile picture once in a while. And uh, I just keep asking her, you know, like once I happen to ask her, why did you why why, why do you like so much that?" He said, she says, um, when I think of India, uh, I, these colors come to my mind because it is not you know it, multiple languages. you know, we have over uh, sixteen languages that are official languages. Uh, and then we have some thousand plus languages that are spoken dialects in the country. Uh, you know, there is a saying in Hindi which says that, you know, like, um, you know, if you move three miles away, you might have different taste for the water that is in India. And if you go, let us say, six miles away, you have a different language. You know, it, it looks like a little dialect rather. So it looks a little exaggerated. See, I work in Bihar. In Bihar itself, you have Hindi, which is definitely spoken in the northern part of India. Maybe some 40 to 50% of the people in India might be speaking Hindi. And then you have local dialects like Bhojpuri, one part of Bihar. You have Maithili, another part of Bihar. And then you have Magahi spoken in another part of Bihar. You have um, you know, tribal languages like uh, Urav, you know. So so it's 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 a country of varieties in that sense. Um, that also makes it quite complex um, in the sense of uh, coordination, communications and everything. But then that unity in diversity, uh, I think hmm. that, that is a kind of a common thread. You know, it sounds very crazy, isn't it? How, how can <laughs> unity in diversity be a kind of a common thread? Because somehow or other, us being Indians, all of us are aware that we, we need to foster that spirit of uh, unity in diversity and that uh, that unity that uh, desire for harmony that desire for i know being connected that is a kind of um, you know a k- kind of a common thread um you know uh, and then that that love and service that gradually you know that's very much there um you know in uh, upanishad you know in um, one of the hindu um you know uh, books of course we know you know you are aware of gita it says uh you know um it is taking ecstatic pleasure in the care of every being. That is something uh, that um, Gita would talk about. You know? Sarva Bhuta Hitei rataha. that is in Sanskrit, which is translated as taking ecstatic pleasure in the care of every being. So this is a sort of harmony. This is a sort of connectedness, especially in the pandemic times also we are able to realize that. So that, that sort of harmony and invitation to that.
0: That sounds um, uh, akin to kind of finding God in all things, right? In Ignatian spirituality. So, how how do you see Ignatian spirituality translating um, into all these different diverse communities? What what value does it bring? Um, you know, how how is it impacting your own your own journey as you as you kind of work for this unity uh, amidst diversity?
1: Yeah. See Saint Ignatius, especially towards the end of the spiritual exercises, talks about finding God in all things, because he never uh, thought of the Ignatian spirituality as a you know a spirituality of the cloisters. I understood he definitely is you know wanting to live Jesuits. He wants he's inviting all the Jesuits to live a spirituality of the marketplaces. Uh, I found America in my own life. See, when I went to one of the missions at the Indo-Nepal border, um, you know, the place that I went, in fact, it was a mission of the Jesuits and the Jesuit director there, he was alone, of course, and then many others were there, people, and he he was reaching out to a lot of people. Um, If I have to be very honest with you, I did not even have a proper bed to sleep the day I reached that particular place. I did not have a mosquito net, you know. um, um, then uh, it was a sort of a training center, besides that there was a room which was given to me, you know, th- that was a transition. He was there, I was there, and that Jesuit father, um, Joseph uh, Sramambikel, he would cook his own food, and then we had children in the campus, um, and he had the outreach program, he would uh, be cycling, let us say thirty kilometers a day on an average. So that was the kind of hard work that he was doing. And I found being in such a mission, and then when I went there, we did not have electricity um, Eric there. And then I managed, by God's grace, um, by the support of the province, in you know six months' time, we had uh, 25 solar panels on the top of our, our building, and the entire campus with the 600 children, uh, you know, being supported only with the solar. And then, then we began to build up, build up, build up. And then um, afterwards, um, you know, when I left that place after four years, we had from those uh, 500, 600 children, we had 1,680 children studying in that school. And the school had gone up to the plus two level. And we had 180 children from the most marginalized communities, the community of Musars that I talked to you about uh, sometime before. So they were there. So what we would do is that we would provide them with. Um, you know, facilities for cooking, you know, if if this is not sounding proper, you should not put it anywhere. But I just want to tell you, um, these 180 plus children would be grouped, you know, like six or seven of them from one area will be part of a group. And then they would cook their own food. Uh, Early morning, they get up and they manage everything. Then they come and sit for study. And then, you know, it was almost like a practically free education for them. But a quality education in India was a huge challenge. So what I want to tell you is that for me, faith is not something abstract. For me, being Ignatian is not something abstract. And finding God in all things would mean for me and for us Jesuits and collaborators, including you, I am sure, uh, committing ourselves um, to the to the science of the times. Uh, today we are invited to move into you know uh, something more urgent. See, at the moment, in fact, today I'm coming from a relief distribution uh, in uh, three of the slums in Delhi. And um, just last week, we were in a leprosy colony trying to support these people um, who have no support economically and, you know, all that. So we were trying to provide them with uh, dry ration kits, etc. Thanks to The Canadian Jesuit International, the Xavier Network, the Jesuit Mission, and many of you who have been of much support. This solidarity has been pouring in, but we have been able to reach out with one program to eight states of the country, you know, especially where the people are affected maximum, especially by COVID. So for me, um, Eric, faith is to be lived. Faith is to be expressed in action, as GC32, General Congregation 32 of the Society of Jesus talks about. It is a faith that does justice. And the GC36 talks about uh, peace and reconciliation. And no peace is possible without fundamental justice. And the basic in that justice is love. So that is what I would like uh, to live as, you know, like living of that faith. That is what it means for me and for many of us.
0: It sounds too like there's... you know, it seems like it would be very easy to get overwhelmed by uh, the need around you. And yet it looks like, you know, you've, you've, it sounds like you've experienced kind of the slow growing of, of, of seeds into, into, you know, really productive and great projects. How do you, how do you stay focused on the task at hand and, and not allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by, by the tremendous need and challenge that we see uh, in India and in the, in the world at large?
1: Yes. Thank you, very. See, um, yes, I do realize that, you know, uh, our resources are very limited. The need of the world is quite large and we ourselves are broken in many ways. Uh, you know, we are vulnerable in many other ways in that sense. But I think um, uh, with what is possible, in you know, our empathy, uh, my approach is this, that even if we are not able to reach a very large population, if we are not able to solve all the problems in the world, definitely we are not able to. But then even if you reach out to a small group of people, but you know that reaching out should have a meaning for myself, and that reaching out should have that depth and intensity of its engagement, and then definitely translating uh, you know, love into action. So that is what I see. Also, I just want to share with you, uh, Eric, that uh, as um, um, for, uh, f- Father General also would uh, remind us in the context of the apostolic planning and so on, that is the process, and also the Pope uh, Francis also reminds us the processes are are very very important maybe as important as the outcomes if not more important because it's very because it is that spirituality of ours that, that helps us uh, to be right there and 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 serve the people so mm, yes we may not be able to see tremendous change so much of these things happening at the same time we would see uh, definitely the world tr- transformed. If I am not able to transform too many people, at least I am transformed partially. And then I am able to affect that transformation at least in a few people, especially among the most marginalized. And I do see, uh, Eric, how, um, you know, th- these communities whom we have accompanied, how with the first generation, you know, learners, etc., they have just um, come up very well in their own life. So. All these things actually give us a lot of inspiration, and that's what the faith also is talking about.
0: It, yeah, no, as well said, beautifully said. I, you're making me think a lot about the, um, obviously the need to work on ourselves, our own inner life, and that kind of the practice of it. You know, you said kind of um, the the process is important, and so are we uh, doing that work ourselves? Because then, if we're well formed and able to to respond, then we're able to meet the needs as we as we encounter them. I, I want to I hear your reflections on kind of the situation in India now. Obviously, um, COVID-19 has has uh, just done tremendous harm uh, to the country, um, uh, to the Society of Jesus in general um, uh, in India. So I wonder just to get your reflections and, and maybe an update on, on where things stand and, and what you're seeing uh, as you go to these different distribution sites. Hmm.
1: Um, thank you, Eric. Um, first of all, I would say um, the Jesuits and collaborators and the whole country is very grateful to so many people so many countries who have uh, been very very generous you know Uh, that is what in the COVID times we have seen such kind of solidarity now what we have witnessed in India especially what we call now is the second wave of COVID-19 this has been horrible um, I myself, you know, I have gone through um COVID um, uh, challenge over here. But as I shared with you when we had a meeting, uh, in a way, I felt happy that I have gone through it because I know what it means. Um, see, in India, the last couple of um, days, uh, now the situation is improving a bit. But we had almost, uh, you know, we had touched almost 4 lakh people who are affected or tested as positive. And the positivity rate was something like 20, 22%, 25% in some of the states like Delhi. So it was very alarming and, um, you know, very close to the place where I stay. I stay in Indian Social Institute in Delhi, just some three or four kilometers away from here, we have a crematorium, means, you know, an open space, you know, beyond being, you know, the cremation happening on the machines, etc., uh, a lot of fire, uh, you know, the human dead bodies being burnt um, with a particular ceremony, you know, like what the Hindus generally do, this would happen. And in the normal times, if you have, let us say, 10 or 15 dead bodies coming to that place, we had, you know, like uh, over 200 dead bodies sometimes waiting to be cremated. And then it, it was terrible and you must have read some news recently that there were dead bodies being thrown into the river ganges um you know it has been very horrible and when you follow the news uh, even when i had covid every day i would watch the news it has been very very frightening and the latest uh, uh, trend is that it is not just contained in the cities uh, you know it is said that some of the new cases that are uh, being witnessed now are happening right in the rural areas. This is very, very dangerous. It is dangerous for this reason. It will be coupled with uh, illiteracy. It will be coupled with the lack of uh, proper health facilities and infrastructure in the rural areas. So everything put together, uh, that is what is frightening um, and challenging many of us. so things are improving to some extent and another uh, you know gap that we have witnessed is um, the, the the shortage of vaccination so you know uh, in my mother for example she got the first shot vaccination and then she was told in 24 days time you will get the next now 60 days over and then she's not able to get the second jab that is very horrible so what is happening in the country, to some extent, is it is like the government and the, the people concerned officially, they are changing the goalpost, you know, like they, just, they say, OK, 24 days is enough. And then, you know, like if we can go up to 40 days for the second one, otherwise you can go up to 60 days. And there is a new theory that is coming up, Eric, to our surprise, that even if you don't have the second shot, it is still fine. This is just this is absolutely uh, unacceptable. Uh, in this context, I want to tell you what we have witnessed in our country, India, is um, lack of governance, lack of accountability, you know. Uh, we have our constitutions, which is one of the best in the world. We are quite proud of that. We are proud of our democracy uh, and all our systems, The you know, uh, the, the judiciary and also, you know, polity, everything. But somewhere or other, we have found, especially in the second wave context, except maybe a few states in India like uh, Kerala, Maharashtra, or a couple of states, leaving those states as a nation, as as a central government that we call, uh, it has been very, very poorly managed. And it has been horrible, uh, Eric, for for us to know that um, people, individuals are hunting for oxygen to support themselves. And there was a society which is you know like society where you know different families stay together in different apartments of a hundred you know thousand three hundred of thirteen hundred families some you know some three hundred families were affected by COVID and then they had a situation there where they will be they would be hunting for oxygen. I had two of my staff who were looking for oxygen for their own in-laws you know father-in-law both of them you know, they were affected and in order to procure oxygen they had to go to another state you know like the state of Delhi did not have this hospital beds free did not have the oxygen availability and then they had to take this patient to Haryana that is another state the neighborhood state and in Indian social institute I am here I said at the Jesuit institute for research and um, action Uh, In this institute, we just last week, we lost uh, one of our gentlemen, uh, one Mr. Anil, who was working with us. And in my office, um, you know, like uh, among the team members of mine, seven of them uh, were affected by COVID. So what I'm saying is it has been a complete collapse and lapse of governance. And this disappointed all of us. And then... Yeah, and the, you must have heard that recent elections uh, that were underway in the country, especially in five states, that really increased the number of people being affected. So I'm afraid I'm afraid that once, now the lockdown is happening uh, in Delhi and many other states, and now let us say from the first of the coming month, once the lockdown is uh, released, uh, or, you know, like, um, then... I'm afraid, or we are afraid. What would happen? Perhaps that would be known as the third wave. We are so scared in that sense.
0: Oh, it sounds terrible, and I and I imagine any anything that has to, you know, people are traveling to a different state for oxygen. Like those are great distances. People have to get transportation. Um, you know, one thing I I, I just wonder. I know we've seen kind of around the world that COVID-19 has exacerbated conflict and any sort of fault line among different groups and and just made those those tensions you know higher have you seen that in India as well have you seen kind of this this um exacerbation of 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 tension among uh different groups particularly as you're as you're preparing for elections
1: yeah um one thing what we have noticed is politically there have been a lot of um firefights and blame games all these things have been going on and you know that in delhi for example the capital of the country we had several people who died of you know uh, died due to lack of oxygen Uh, and at a particular time it is supposed to come from another state and then they the other state is given more or the current uh, dispensation ruled state. For example, BJP is ruling in the country and some of those states that are ruled by them, they get priority for oxygen. And last week, you must have heard that in Goa, one of our small states, if you take India as a country, uh, among the states, uh, Goa is maybe the smallest in that sense, except, you know, you know, the northeastern part. But uh, 23 people died up for the want of oxygen. And the situation was there again. So I used to wonder as an Indian citizen, leave alone any other role that I have, I used to wonder if there is a war situation, there, definitely the army is called in. Uh, but this, when human lives are very important, when lakhs of people are dying in the country, I was just wondering why can't the government be responsible? Because we are, let us say, tax paying citizens of the country. And the health, infrastructure, and also education, these three, according to me, are very fundamental to the uh, the responsibilities of the state. We hold the state responsible for that. That is why we pay even tax, 18%, 28% for various things, etc. But where is the governance? This has really upset So I would say one of the conflicts that we have seen is among the political parties, all these kinds of things have been going on. And the second conflict I can see is there is a tremendous divide that that, that is still, you know, increased at the moment. See, those who can afford, for example, I know one person uh, who, you know, for an oxygen cylinder, which would naturally or generally cost you 4000 rupee, they paid 40,000 Indian currency for one cylinder and then they are able to afford. Uh, sometimes even the richest people were not able to get the facilities that is also an important story but on the other hand I have been listening to religious sisters who have been working in the government hospitals in Bihar and so on that you know on an average sometimes in one hospital in Bethia, Bihar 18 covid patients would die they are poor patients and um, you know, it is known as heart attack or, you know, you know something else, something else, and there is a tremendous, tremendous under-reporting of the deaths in our country. You must have been reading a lot about it. BBC has been reporting tremendously on it. NDTV and so many others. So these kinds of, the conflict I would say is more on the, 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 the difference between the haves and the have-nots. And definitely you look at the migrants, for example. What is the plight of these people i interviewed uh, two of them in one of those places where i went for you know um distributing distributing some relief materials uh they told me for the last one month from the time of the lockdown we don't have anything in our hand What do we eat and then we do not know what to do because it it is very painful but um, conflicts these kind of conflicts are there but i have noticed that Not that people fighting with each other uh, so much or, you know, like, because they are not out there in the open, uh, there is a lot more solidarity and then we feeling a sort of empathy for one another, irrespective of whichever class uh, or caste they belong to. So this unity also is there. I do see that you know
0: as you as you're talking i'm thinking about you know i just end of life every, you know how you die you know the care for for your body you know the opportunity for family and friends to mourn you and know the truth about um you know how 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 you die i just it's so important It's such a sacred moment and so to to have that taken from you and, and we've experienced that in in our country and all over the world you know it's not just in india of course but um you know i think that that's such a yeah. It's just a tragic, tragic part of this whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more? I know you've been, you've been talking throughout about the role of the church and the role of, of the Jesuits uh, in responding to this moment in India. Um, is there anything else that you might uh, share about, um, again, just the role the Jesuits, uh, the church have played in this important moment?
1: Yes. Um, yes, I would say that um, so the church in India has been very, very proactive. And this has been the history of the church in India. Uh, with the various institutions or organizations like Caritas India or, you know, um, other ways, many, many Jesuit institutions or even other religious sisters and congregations and all put together, we, uh, you know, the Catholic Bishop Conference of India, people have been reaching out to the most marginalized communities in a, in a, in a very bigger way. And what I'm um, also learning uh, based on my readings and also from the information that I have is that the church in India um, has, you know, arranged for a 60,000 bed, um, you know, COVID care centers in the country, if you take all together. Some 50,000 religious volunteers, mostly the sisters and, you know, like others, are involved in reaching out to the, the affected people, though it is quite frightening for them also to be involved. So uh, I can see uh, a lot of um, you know uh, Catholics or Christians and others really coming uh, to the support of um, the people who are really affected with the, the real Christian service, that sense of charity, everything. Now, just coming to the Jesuits, um, In the previous time itself, we had reached out to, you know, I myself or our office started collecting some data, uh, and then we were able to reach out to some three lakh people.
0: A lakh is a unit in the Indian numbering system that is equal to 100,000. So here we're talking about 300,000 people.
1: So some three lakh people were the direct beneficiaries in that sense of direct stakeholders of the Jesuit engagement in South Asia. We reach them out with uh, dry rations, we reach them out with, uh, you know, quarantine centers or, you know, distributing sanitizers and various things like that. Now, in the second phase, you might know, uh, as I had shared with you all, uh, Eric, uh, of the 4,000 plus Jesuits in South Asia, we have lost 36 Jesuits. It It is a horrible and frightening number for us especially to COVID. We have lost them to COVID. And, you know, other deaths are not counted uh, in that sense. That means, uh, you, you know, your own family, your own members, you yourself or we ourselves are affected, but still there is a tremendous tenacity there is a you know there is a desire to reach out to others so the the conference of south asia as a group of provincials came together deliberated on what they could do they mobilized some sort of uh, you know financial support and they decided that they would some provinces would support other provinces which do not have let us say sufficient resources to reach out to the people the most needy that was one thing secondly um I, myself, you know, my office, that is the Conference Development Office, along with the Indian Social Institute Delhi, Migrant Assistance and Information Network, and Lockman, that is also associated with the Social Justice and Ecological Secretariat of the society, all put together, we we have a very important national level intervention with which we are able to reach out to um, eight states of the country. Uh, and then we chose for that the places, the states where, like, um, the chosen were the most affected states Kerala is one, Maharashtra had quite a few cases, Jharkhand is another state, um, you know, where many cases were there, and uh, Bihar, Delhi, and Hyderabad, you know, like, um, uh, Andhra Pradesh and Telangana, these two states were together at some time in our country, so that so. Uh, these many states we are covering at the moment, and then West Bengal also we began to intervene later. So it is, and then it is one, you know, one collaborative effort called the Jesuit Collective at the conferences of South Asia. But then in different provinces, they have a lot of efforts, uh, you know, uh, into. That means, you know, for example, uh, Karnataka, you know, province of the JCSA, they have they had initiated a COVID care center with 100 beds or so with the support of the alumni. And then in Darjeeling, they have started something of that sort recently. Many provinces have started uh, uh, trauma counseling centers. Uh, and then many provinces have also initiated ambulance-related services available for the people. There are also helplines. There is also community radio programs that have been initiated by You know a couple of uh, provinces so somewhere or other i do see uh, you know tremendous um, energy tremendous enthusiasm and also a greater desire and commitment uh, to reach out to uh, those who are really in need and we are all targeting or focusing on on uh, those who usually or in the normal times do not have these facilities
0: I'm always struck by the role that religious actors can play in moments like this, particularly if, if you know the governance isn't as strong or the government isn't as able to step in and and do work that you know. You have a, a deep knowledge of the community, a deep knowledge of the needs of, of where people are, and you can go and, and bring them these these resources and, and, and knowledge and, and help them in this moment. So um, I, you know, it's it's amazing yeah. work.
1: And uh, Eric, just want to also share with you. See, when we talk about faith, the translation it into action, mm-hmm. most of the, the missionaries, the, not, right. be it the sisters or fathers or others in that sense, we have been working in non-Catholic, non-Christian areas. For example, I was in Bihar and in a 70 kilometer radius, the only two Christians who were in that place was myself and one father Saji, I CG. there was one father Saji, two of us. And then later we had two religious sisters who joined us, you know, to serve in that campus. Otherwise, we were the only Christians. So yet, for the last 25 years, the Jesuits have been serving that area. And then there is tremendous progress and development in that area. I would say, you know, uh, I had one, um, uh, you know, one nurse care, one, you know, woman uh, who came for an evaluation of one of our programs. And she told me, and then she wrote in her Facebook when she returned home after the the, the kind of evaluation, of my 34 years of engagement in social sector, the best that I could see in the most downtrodden area was the intervention of the Jesuits in this particular area. Because that was the kind of progress that these communities could make because of our interventions. So I do see our faith is going beyond And then that is the call. And that is what Jesus himself did. Uh, So he was going beyond his own community or comfort zones. And there are a lot of challenges. A lot of people can accuse you. I myself had um, taken up a lot of human rights related, um, you know, concerns whereby um, I myself have been into, you know, like the question, I mean, it is there, but do you stop doing? Uh, No. Because it is something more, uh, an internal fire that is within you, which is drawing you to commit yourself.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful, and it sounds like the heart of a, of a Jesuit vocation to be dri- you know pulled out into the world to to work among people of all um, of all varieties and and faiths and, and traditions and backgrounds. Uh, but you, you you mentioned human rights uh, work, and I, I want to touch um, briefly on on um, Father Stan Swami, who I know um, ha- has also been um, in the news. His work and, and his his imprisonment has been in the news, uh, at least in the Jesuit world. So maybe you can give us a brief update, um, uh, maybe a brief background, and then a brief update on. On, on, his, on his work and, and, and where things stand. Before we hear Father Siji's response, I want to share a little more background on Father Stan. For nearly eight months, Father Stan Swami S.J. has been wrongly imprisoned in India. Multiple efforts to secure his release have been denied by the courts, even though he's 84 years old and suffers from Parkinson's disease. His health was already poor when he was arrested and has deteriorated significantly since then. Despite this, all his requests for bail have been denied. For 50 years, Father Swami has worked tirelessly for poor and marginalized communities in India, especially its indigenous people. On October 8, 2020, Father Swami was arrested and taken into custody by the National Investigation Agency of India. His arrest is based on the false claim that he participated in a violent incident in a region which he has never even visited. Along with 15 other human rights defenders, Father Swami stands wrongfully accused because of his opposition to government policies that curtailed the rights of indigenous peoples. A digital forensic lab has found that some of the evidence being used against one of Father Swami’s fellow defendants was planted on his laptop. Father Swami's arrest is condemned globally, and if you want to add your voice in solidarity, head over to jesuits.org/stan. Back to Father Siji.
1: The life of Father Stan, has inspired all of us Jesuits and beyond being in South Asia, he has become become a sort of an icon for human rights and justice across the globe. And I would like to place on record the the gratefulness that we we feel, because be it from Canada, be it from the US, and you know, like the way uh, the the Jesuits and collaborators have been uh, pouring in their support, Uh, for Father Stan and for uh, the the Jesuits in solidarity uh, has been tremendous, Eric. I mean, that has really inspired us, uh, like anything. And all of you are quite part of it. Thanks a lot for for being with us, especially in these difficult moments. Um, Yes, Father Stan, Swami, for example, you know, for me, he has been a tremendous inspiration. Uh, After his arrest, I personally wanted to visit some of those areas where he worked. So Eric, I, myself, along with uh, one father Nitin, who is in the United States now doing his studies, uh, he and a small team of people, we just we wanted to travel or we wanted to have a pilgrimage into all those places where Father Stan moved around and worked with. I had an opportunity to interact with at least, uh, you know, 18 people who have come very closely with Father Stan in and through his engagement in human rights, etc. They all have one thing to say. Father Stan is a prophet. He's just not an ordinary human rights activist. He is a person who gave his own life. And and one person I, I listened to, one, one Mr. Xavier, who was telling us that you know many of us Jesuits, the youngsters, and others can write about human rights, we can write about the concerns for the poor, etc. Here is a person who, even being in the jail, he is living out uh, his commitment, uh, and then he is becoming an example of the living gospel of love and justice. And that is the kind of a person that uh, Stan has been. And you know very well. Let's like, of course, 8th of October 2020, he was arrested, and the you know national investigating agency they really did not find anything uh, you know like against him. But the accusation is that he is uh, associated with uh, the so-called terrorists or, you know, like uh, he is a sort, sort of anti-national. This is a kind of, uh, 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 you know, narrative that has been put up by, you know, uh, a particular group of people and also the, the current dispensation in the country. Uh, but the only, f- you know, uh, fault perhaps of this gentleman, which is definitely not a fault, is that he stood by the marginalized, the poor, and the oppressed, and then in that area where he worked, let us say he gave 30 years plus in Jharkhand alone, directly serving the people, Uh, there were a lot of corporates who had, uh, you know, um, who had their vested interests in that whole area be it for mining, be it for other resources or, you know, to start their companies, etc., etc. But then Father Stan always stood with the people for the marginalized, especially the Dalits, saying that we need to protect the rights of the Adivasis, the the, the tribals. So that was one of the major reasons why he went, you know, like the other dispensation did not like him. And another uh, major intervention of Father Stan was he did um, uh, research uh, with a group of people uh, on uh, the under-trials in the country. And to his own um, um, surprise, rather he probably knew something very close uh, to that kind of a hypothesis to be tested, he found that almost 80% of the people who were languishing in jail, especially between a particular age, mostly the youngsters, they were, you know, they were just under trials. Their cases would go on for many years, many years, without being coming for proper hearing, etc. So they would be languishing in the jails. So he published a study that is in the public domain already. So definitely, that also upset many, many people. So, um, and he is the 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 eldest person who has been accused of uh, a crime against, you know, the country. Uh, you know, um, yeah, 84-year-old yeah, man. He was not even allowed to use a sipper. Um, you know, for, he has got Parkinson's disease. He suffers from that, and he he has a hard of hearing. And at the moment, you you know, he's in. Uh, uh, you know, there was there were some hearings of late about you know in the in the, in the uh, court in the High Court of Mumbai, and today he is being shifted to a holy family hospital uh, with all the protection and others just for his uh, health care because and even to arrive at that the the government took a lot of time and even you will be surprised to know he was not even vaccinated 84 year old man not even vaccination and what was the reason Eric this is absolutely unacceptable that his identity card, which we call in India as the Aadhaar card, that is the permanent sort of a citizenship, uh, you know, identity at the moment in our country, uh, it was confiscated by those people when they arrested him. And now, they uh, he does not have an identity card, therefore, how can he be, you know, vaccinated? Can you imagine? it's it's hard not
0: to to draw the parallels between Father Stan and and, and Oscar Romero or Dorothy Stang or uh, you know all these other you know heroes of of our faith that have Stood alongside the marginalized, and and you know I you you mentioned kind of young people languishing in prison and how Father Stan did that research and you know again I think of I think of, of my my own country you know how many young people are are, are languishing in prison um, and and the loss the tremendous we talked about the value of human life the tremendous loss of 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 of, of these young people's uh, value in our in our in our society what can they add um, well I. Uh, I'm wondering if I stacked the questions in the wrong way because we got we got heavier and heavier and heavier but maybe we can kind of bring it up bring it up for this last question Please. um you know as, as we you know as we as we set off on this ignatian year you know we've we've talked about uh, the importance of solidarity uh particularly as we look at uh, just all the the, the the hardship you know around the world in India in particular um you know what what would be your message to the Ignatian family um uh, at, you know for all of us to keep in mind as we uh, as we as we pray pr- you know pray through this Ignatian year
1: yes um two points that strike me one is saint ignatius spoke of being contemplatives in action uh that is a great message for me especially in the indian and south asian context uh that we are not people who are cloistered people who are you know I appreciate the cloistered life that is not um, I'm not criti- criti- criticizing that. but on the other hand, I find the the Ignatian understanding of uh, finding God in all things, especially uh, you know uh, being contemplatives in action is a greater uh, a great inspiration for um, all of us across the globe and that is what we see at least we are all trying to or attempt to do right here in india the second one is ever to love and to serve the general congregations later also picked up on that that is how the spiritual exercise would end Uh, ultimately all that we have been trying to do uh, be the prayer uh, be the retreat that i have been through whatever be or the spiritual exercises it is not just for my own self once i am experiencing that inner experience of being touched by the divine Uh, I just cannot help or, you know, I cannot contain that experience of, uh, you know, the resurrection or the risen Lord. But I just need to go and communicate that outside Uh, as, um, you know, uh, as being Ignatian family members or extended members of the Ignatian family. We are invited to be, ever to love and to serve under the banner of the cross, of course, because we are facing a lot of challenges right here in India. This is not very easy. It has definitely not been very easy, but, but there is hope. And the hope is that people like you now conversing with us, the hope is that we are still connected amidst all the challenges and difficulties. And the hope is that even the person who is you know, gasping for the last breath uh, has got that hope that he would still survive. That, that, that kind of a hope is what St. Ignatius also instills in all of us.
0: To love and serve, I love that, and, and to love and serve and hope. Well, Father Siji, thank you so much for, uh, for talking with us today. I appreciate your reflections and, uh, and your stories, and, uh, and we'll, we will continue to pray for, for uh, all of your, your fellow countrymen in India. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference Communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan-Lasky, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at Jesuit News, on Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and at Facebook, facebook.com Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on
1: fire.